Hello, my name is Simon Miller from What Culture Wrestling, and you are listening to the Podmania Pro Wrestling Podcast, and you better keep listening to it. Why? Here's why. You're, You're listening, listening to, to the Podmania, Podmania Pro, Pro Wrestling, Wrestling Podcast, Podcast, a sample of the best pro wrestling podcasts we can produce on our tiny budget. Check us out on Apple Podcasts, Podcast Addict, CastBox, and all other podcast platforms. If it's wrestling you want, check out more of our great content at podmania.co.uk. Let's do this. to episode 138 of the Pod Mania podcast. I'm your host, Rob Gordon, and the band is back together. I'm joined by the whole crew, Garth and Chris. How are you guys? I'm on the long and winding road towards the grave, Rob. (laughs) (laughs) I'm quite good, actually. I'm fine. Yeah, I was just going to say... Do you want to elaborate for the listeners, Chris, or is it just your general well, demeanour? Well, I made between the clock out of ten peas, and he didn't sound too impressed. And I'm pondering whether or not life is worth living. What? Because your tweeny clock is shit. My tweeny clock's really good. You haven't seen it. Send a what picture of it to the WhatsApp group. <laughs> I will. What the fuck is a tweeny? You've never seen betweenies. It's amazing. You should watch it on mescaline. Don't watch it. Garth, it's it's like it's like Teletubbies on meth. Don't don't. That's why it's amazing. I'm sure my age now. <laughs> you really are. Once again. again. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, ladies and gentlemen, today's podcast is another list podcast. Garth has done his top ten, and Chris has done his top ten. So today is my opportunity to show you why they're both wrong, and <laughs> even though lists are subjective. All right. It is completely my list that is correct and not theirs. Uh, I am just going to quickly say that having listened to both their lists, which I wasn't part of, um, I... You have... better go. Was I part of your list, Garth? Yeah? Was I part of your list? No. Not as in was I... I, d- I don't mean was I on your list. <laughs> <laughs> not am I one of your top ten favourite wrestlers. You were definitely there. Was I definitely there? Yeah. Mm, okay. You. How is that a tweeny clock? <laughs> there's, there's a button in the middle, and then the thing around, around that when you press it, you know what time of the day it is. Is it play time? Is it book time? Is it outside time? Who knows? Let's find out. This is going to be where we find the average age of our listeners. Because you'll have those that group of people that go, oh, the tweenies, you know, retro. And there'll be some that are just going, like Garth, going... What the actual fuck is this? This person fucking eject. Yeah. Just... <laughs> yeah. How do you not on know? On the what... fucking tape player. <laughs> Tweenies was on VHS. I had Tweenies VHS tapes. Just because it was on VHS does not mean Garth would watch it. I mean, it's, every time Garth talks about movies and TV, it sounds like he's watched everything that's on VHS. <laughs> Completed VHS. <laughs> <laughs> anyway... <laughs> Oh my god, this podcast is going to be so long. (laughs) Anyway, ladies and gentlemen, um, I'm just going to quickly whip through my top ten, basically. And I was excited about it, and then 
the intro to this podcast happened and I'm suddenly not as excited as I was. Um, (laughs) (laughs) There is going to be some double up um, between all of our lists. I know there is at least two people that have been on one or more of our lists. So uh, anyway, doesn't matter. Let's start with number 10 then, guys. Are you ready? Number 10. Are you ready to tell me why I'm wrong or a smart? Is it Ty Dillinger? Is it Ty Dillinger? The temptation to put Ty Dillinger on as number 10 is unreal, but it isn't, we need, no. We need to do a list where we do that one day. <laughs> Just the smarky list. <laughs> um. Anyway, number 10 is The Undertaker. Um. The reason it's The Undertaker is because the man is just wrestling. Since I've been watching wrestling, he has been the pinnacle of the WWE. Now, WWE is the company that I am most familiar with when it comes to wrestling. It's the company that I've watched for the longest. I didn't start watching New Japan until 2018, 2017. And Impact, I didn't start watching until after that even. So to be the height and the pinnacle of, you know, everything in that company, just it, he's such a mysterious character and he's just such a campy, over-the-top character, and he just makes it work. I mean, for goodness sake, he's a zombie. He's effectively <laughs> a, a well-dressed zombie, and he's made this gimmick... Well. He's made this gimmick work since 1990. He had that weird blip with the biker-taker thing, which even that was cool. But was then... Right. Yeah, it was. I genuinely quite enjoyed the biker-taker thing. You've done it now! You've gonna <laughs> made a big mistake. Um, And then you know, transitioning back into the Deadman thing and having some of his best matches in that second run. Mm. And this is without even talking about his WrestleMania run, where he's had just match of the decade contenders against Shawn Michaels, both matches against Shawn Michaels, the match against Edge, the match against CM Punk, that amazing Hell in a Cell match with Triple H with Shawn Michaels as a special guest referee. The Batista match. The Batista match, exactly. This man has pulled out classic matches. And if I'll, if I'm being perfectly honest, he would be higher on the list if they just knew when to stop it. I was just going to say, like, Wood has continued basically trolling him out every time. Has that not hurt his legacy a bit? He's the Phil Collins of... <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, no, I agree with you. I completely agree with both of you. I mean, since the perfect time to sort of retire The Undertaker would have been WrestleMania 30. You know, because after the streak, they were never going to put the title back on, ever. So, end it there. The last thing The Undertaker had was the streak. They then had the second um, one. Um, Perfect retirement when Roman beaten and I was like had tears in my fucking eyes thinking I'd never see Undertaker again and then he's back but the matches he's had have not been good the match against Goldberg, the match with Kane against DX in Saudi Arabia, the the Wrestlemania match with John Cena which was effectively a squash and was just completely pointless I remember and this is going to sound ridiculous now but I remember when I very first got back into wrestling in about 2015-16. And Adam Blompier from What Culture did a video on why, how you could do The Undertaker's retirement and how The Undertaker's retirement was going to be the biggest thing in wrestling. And it should have been. It should have been 
what Ric Flair's retirement was, but bigger because this man has been with the company through thick and thin. And what have they done? Well, they did. To be fair, I mean, the fact that he's pretty much sold full WrestleManias on his own for five years in a row or something in that latter period, but they did the whole leave his coat in the ring thing, and that was fucking perfect. It was, 100%. Leave it. But, I don't know. I still think my idea for his retirement would be better. What's your idea? Just have him and him and Kane have one final blowout, buried alive casket match, where the Undertaker gets basically buried, but then Kane goes down into the ground with him, and then they're both gone, done. <laughs> Double retirement. And then you hear Paul Paul Bearer's laugh over the like as a ghost. <laughs> I quite like that. I'm not gonna lie. I, <laughs> I, like I was just gonna say Taichi should beat him because what higher <laughs> honor is that? Um, so what? Like he's one of those people where like if you go into wrestling in the past thirty years, you have a memory of him. Like if you went into wrestling when Gaff did, you remember like with the tie when Rob did. I assume it's like Attitude Era and Ministry Taker. Yeah. And then with me, you had like 2007. This is my yard, world heavyweight, big gold belt taker. Mm-hmm. And if you're like, and if you're like the current generation of wrestling fans, she saw an old man who should really have died by now and probably disappointed <laughs> cool on a nightly basis. But he, he's great, isn't he? Yeah. He is. And we, we focused a bit too much, really, on is you know the shit after WrestleMania 33, but the fact that he was putting on. Such in-ring classics with, and yeah, sure, you can argue that it was Shawn Michaels, but to do it with Edge, to do it with Batista, to do it with Triple H, to do it with all these people, and to have it be often the most anticipated match on a oh, WrestleMania yeah. card. That I mean, and to have to go from 1990 all the way through to 2019 and still be that icon. It's incredible. Really is incredible. Yeah. And to be perfectly honest, I think he, he just he needed to be on this list because he was such a big part of my wrestling past. And yeah. you were right, Garth. Like you, you mentioned you mentioned Undertaker to people who don't watch wrestling. They know the name Undertaker. Oh, definitely. In the same yeah. way that you would know Stone Cold Steve Austin or The Rock. But yeah. Anyway, yeah. number ten, The Undertaker. Number nine, ironically, a man that Undertaker beat at WrestleMania, um, is Edge, the radar superstar. Um, the man had to be on this list because he's cool as balls. He had a live sex celebration, which makes him cooler than you. Um, I mean, he took a very, very, let's face it, mundane move set and made himself one of the top stars in the company. I mean, he debuted with the Brood well, just before the brood, really. Would anyone think that's a future world champion? His feud with John Cena is absolutely incredible. His feud with The I Undertaker. Know, 50 matches. I know. <laughs> His feud that feud with... seemed to go on for about 10 years. It really <laughs> did. It was it was like a prelude to Cena versus Orton. Just mm. kept going. That's but great. Edge is so charismatic. He could pull it off. He was just that good. Um, I mean, his match with Mick Foley at <coughs> WrestleMania 22, am I right in saying? 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's just that's fucking lunacy, just incredible. And probably great match, man. It really was. And then to go to be just the most hated man for a time in WWE after the incident with Lita and Matt Hardy and basically becoming a cuckold, just to take that heat and run with it and create this ultimate opportunist gimmick. The man's cool as shit. He really (laughs) is. We don't call people cucked enough on this podcast. <laughs> we don't. We, <laughs> we the don't. fact he could um, he could work as a fan favourite and as a properly hated heel, not a cool heel, a properly hated heel. And he, There's not many and people he, did that. And he'd spin it on a dime. And also, like what we haven't quite mentioned, is that he's legitimately hilarious. Oh, yeah, fucking totally. Yeah, like um, the kazoo shit. <laughs> <laughs> Just like when we're doing it in Triple H's locker room, and he's just like, "Stop that! Get out!" <laughs> I mean, the money in the bank stuff. He made that. He made the money in the bank mean something. That cash in at New Year's Revolution was was iconic. It was totally it amazing. was one of the best cash ins. Just it was because... one of those like jaw dropping moments where you're like, "Oh shit, he's actually gonna yeah." And just oh, and it came out with Mr. Like, McMahon. Also... It was incredible. It was that that cashew was one of those things. Went, oh, so that's what you do with it, sort of thing, like like a light bulb thing. It's amazing. Yeah, yeah I knew nothing about like Edge was the first cashew I had, but it was uh, um, it was on Undertaker. And I remember walking into school one day because I couldn't get SmackDown, and someone was like, "Edge was champion." I'm like, "Whoa, you mean that really fucking cute guy in the long leather coat, world champion?" They're like, "Yeah." I'm like, "How did we do it?" I'm like, "Well, Mark Henry helped him." I'm like, "Of course, of course, Mark Henry." <laughs> The guy with the ma- like, I love Edge's entrance music. Everything but, about him was just fucking great. Being fair, he managed to survive from that god awful Rob Zombie song. He did, yeah. um, but he was also part of one of the greatest tag teams in WWF. Oh yeah, I mean that <laughs> they call it the golden age of tag teams, don't they? With the Hardy Boys, the Dudley Boys, and Edge and Christian, and mm-hmm. oh, Edge and Hulk Hogan. Say again. I thought you were talking about Edge and Hulk Hogan. <laughs> Golden Age Hogan. Um, but just the everything he did was fucking great. The five-second poses, just amazing. Oh, brilliant. Just all of that stuff, just the goofy shit. Like, that was one of the things to to tune in and watch, was that. See what two stupid shit we're going to do with those giant hats and the duff glasses and all that stuff. <laughs> and then his stuff with Vicky Guerrero as well. Just brilliant. Uh, that grossed me out. As I was eleven at the time, that grossed me it, out. It did, but it was amazing. The way the way it was it was so blatant, and she was totally blind to it because obviously this fucking hot dude was like all over her, and it, it sort of catapulted her career. It did, really. Yeah. Cold edge. I used to get cold edge in school because I had the long messy hair. <laughs> did you used to like crawl around as well when you went in the classroom? <laughs> <laughs> Just stick my tongue out. I, I, I just go in on my stomach and then hump the floor. Just, <laughs> I was a public menace. What can I, I tell totally you? Totally, so you were in like a black leather trench coat. Like. I, did, I, did ha- I did have one. I, I fucking knew it. <laughs> but it wasn't a trench coat. It was more like a, just a leather jacket, but it was too big for me. So it was <laughs> basically a trench coat. I mean, no offence meant at all, Chris, but I can't think of a wrestler you look less like than Edge. You can't think of a wrestler and look less like. You look more like Hulk Hogan than you do Edge. 
I don't know. Like, what the fuck? That's not true. Come on. <laughs> you look more like Charlotte Flair than you do. Bloody Edge. More like Mark Henry. It's just for fucking rocks. Sorry. I'm trying to think of the most obscure. Coming from fucking and six foot one Mark Andrews. <laughs> Speaking of Mark Henry, number eight. No, I'm joking. I'm joking. Mark Henry isn't on this list. I mean, that would the best. Uh... Why? Why would he be on this list? I mean, for God's sake, the man couldn't wrestle. Um, ironically, one of Undertaker's least good WrestleMania matches. That and King Kong Bundy and Giant Gonzalez. <laughs> um, anyway, number eight, and this is someone. I know was on Garth's list. I can't remember if it was on Chris's list. I think it was. Uh, but number eight is the Olympic gold medalist, Kurt Angle. Oh, yeah. Angle was on oh, yeah. He's just... <laughs> to transition, I mean, that year he had from 1999 through to 2000 is still lauded now as the best rookie year in professional wrestling. I mean... Right. Fine, absolutely fine. He was an Olympic gold medalist, and he did it with a broken freaking neck. Don't know if anyone ever doubted that. But And then he went on to just, just in the WWE for the minute, put on some of the greatest matches. But before that, he just his completely clueless heel persona when he first came in, when he tried to be loved and just wasn't by the crowd and just fully embraced that heel nature, was absolutely brilliant. And he became just this... He was the wrestler. He was the one who put on the great matches. And then you look at that early noughties, Ruthless Aggression era, and the SmackDown 6, he was such an incredibly pivotal part of that, his matches with Brock Lesnar, that Iron Man match with Brock Lesnar on SmackDown, their rematch when he was, he'd got, basically, he was should have been paralysed at WrestleMania 19, but wasn't, and decided, you know what, I'm going to wrestle, despite the fact that my neck is fucked, and put on an absolute clinic. Um, <laughs> just everything he seemed to do, his match at WrestleMania 17 with Chris Benoit, his match at 21 with Michaels, just the one with um, Shane. Just fucking brutal. The one with Shane, that match, even. King of the match. Ring, yeah. When he tried to suplex him through the glass and he bought the wrong yeah. glass. <laughs> and he just bounced off it and everyone went, well, he did. Um, but, I, I, oh. but then, obviously, mm. taking all, you know, the, the pills and everything aside for a second, he then went on to TNA and basically had that company on his shoulders completely. And this was a side of Kurt Angle that I didn't know about. Well, I knew about, but hadn't watched until I started this podcast. And then to watch him in the ring with the likes of Samoa Joe with Kurt Angle, uh, sorry, Kurt Angle with AJ Styles even, um, and characters like that, just amazing, just absolutely, just an incredible, incredible wrestler. It was an amazing story. Um, of back in 2000, um, no, 2001, on the lead up to WrestleMania 9, uh, 17, he was the champion, but he was going to drop it to Barack. Triple H was complaining to have it be dropped to him because, you know, that's what Triple H does. 
and um, he was laughing backstage with a lot of with a lot of his buddies going, "Ah, uh-huh, isn't Kurt just too small?" And Pat Patterson just went up to him and went, um, "Why didn't you ask Kurt for a legitimate fight?" And then Triple H never brought it up again. There's there's loads of stories. For example, there's the Eddie Guerrero story where a match on SmackDown went a bit awry. And Eddie got hot up, went backstage and basically tried to start a fight with Kurt Angle. And Kurt Angle just apparently gently put him in a front face lock and <laughs> gently lowered him to the floor. And, Calm down. Yeah. Calm down. And Bruce Pritchard <laughs> apparently just <laughs> went up to Eddie afterwards and said, look, wh- why would you pick a fight with Kurt Angle of all people? And apparently Eddie just sat there and went, I know, I'm an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like, it's like in Age of Ultron when um, Hulk and Iron Man are having a fight and it's like, go to sleep, go to sleep, go to sleep, go to sleep, go to sleep. <laughs> He's a submission master. And, you know, one of the greatest matches I've seen Kurt Angle have is a lockdown with Samoa Joe. Yeah. Just that just cool, cynical bastard. Just amazing. And Garth, I know you actually know a lot more about his running TNA than I do. And you could probably highlight a lot more matches. The whole build, the whole for his like sort of his debut, and then the debut and the, the feuds that he had with Samoa Joe and AJ, just class, just just and it was like honestly, other than like maybe the odd match when he was injured, and when he lost a lot of weight and stuff, and he couldn't because he was so injured, he couldn't even pick people up properly. Even through all that, he was still having good matches. And it just showed you how good technically he was that he could overcome the injuries and stuff to, to still work a match. Just, uh, just, just one of the greats. He's one of those wrestlers that could quite legitimately <clears throat> pull out a, an outstanding match out of anyone. Mm-hmm. Um, I watched I'd recently... Love to, I'd love to... Like, he's one of those people... He's one of the few people who you would have legitimately like dozens of dream matches. You would have Flair in his prime, Brett in his prime, Owen in his prime... Michael's in their prime. All these people against Kurt Angle would be all five-star, six-star yeah, matches. Was, he was against Michael's in his prime. Michael's prime was definitely in the latter half of his career. So, And we had two of them, and we were both great. Oh, my God. talk about like Michael's, though, in his sort of mid-90s sort yeah, of prime. It would be, it would be shit, because Michael's in mid-90s, when Michael's a Darien. <laughs> true, true. Yeah, true. Uh, uh, go on, Chris. What were you going to say? He's the first, like, wrestler came across who was, like, a wrestler wrestler because I came into WWE in 2007, you know, when Cena's on top and Batista's on top and there's also, like, entertainers. And then, like, I went to TNA because so, TNA in school was, like, the place where Kurt Angle was. It was, like, that's all it was. And we went... Um, so we went to watch it and I fucking shit my pants. Jesus Christ. Like... It's unfortunate. He, he, <laughs> it's happened about it. Um, you don't see, you don't see, you didn't see shit like that. And just, he's a massive part into ha- what I enjoy in wrestling, sort of like the almost like an actual fight nature of it. Because, like, he made it seem legitimate. Like, well, at the same time, like, even in TNA, he did goofy shit. Like, there was a bit where Karen was cheating on him, you know, art imitating life and all that. <laughs> and, um, he, JB found out and went to tell him and then he was like wait she's cheating on me does he have gold medals reason <laughs> <laughs> Kurt Angle could think his wife would cheat on him is that if she had more gold medals than him amazing amazing he's, he's just he is outstanding and it's again similar to The Undertaker it's a shame that he didn't just 
retire when he could, as opposed to being while well, he was embarrassed while being general manager, and then he had that absolute shocker against Baron Corbin. And again, of all the people to retire Kurt Angle, you know, he's made it very publicly clear that Baron Corbin wasn't the person he wanted to retire him. But Vince said, no, you're in an angle with Baron. Baron is retiring you. And Kurt Angle did the job, which shows what a consummate professional he is. It's just a shame because, you know, you look at John Cena, the person who, you know, Angle basically made, and then what a way to come full circle. But it wasn't meant to be, and we never got that match again, which is a shame. But Kurt Angle... What a legend, what a competitor, and what a career he had. What an absolutely amazing career. Because considering it was his second career after winning gold medals at amateur <laughs> wrestling, it's fairly impressive. Let's be perfectly yeah. honest. Uh, Kurt Angle, number eight. Number seven, he's just come back to New Japan. It's Hiromu Takahashi. Oh, my God. This guy. I mean, <laughs> I've been watching New Japan since Wrestle Kingdom 11. And Hiromu is one of those people that instantly caught my eye from his ridiculous, ridiculous moveset to just his colourful antics. He is a lightning rod in in New Japan. Because New Japan doesn't rely heavily on, you know, massive gimmicks, except for Evil and Taichi, obviously, and, you know, doesn't rely on pomp and circumstance, Hiromu just stands out, and his just the matches he's had, just from the short time that I've been watching, his match against Osprey at Dominion 2018 is an absolute banger. His match last year in Best of the Super Juniors 25, that final with Taiji Shimori, where he takes a back body bump, okay, a back bump on the fucking stairs and rolls down the steps in the stand at Corican Hall is just fucking lunacy. But again, it was an incredible match. It was my match of the year last year. And then to have, to come back from an injury where we thought he was basically dead, to come back from that and to hear the pop he got at Power Struggle when he finally came back 18 months after this injury just is amazing. And even though we are having this unprecedented tournament at Wrestle Kingdom 14, the thing I am most looking forward to is Osprey, who is Wrestler of the Year 2019, against Hiromu, because this man is absolutely incredible. He draws the eye no matter what he's doing, no matter where he is. I love him. I, he is one of my favourite wrestlers, if not my favourite wrestler in New Japan. What a fucking guy, Chris. Uh, I like how you didn't go to Gaffer. Um, the Okay, so you started watching New Japan in West Kingdom 11, didn't you? Uh, his match against Kushida, yeah. Yeah, you've basically seen his career worth talking about. Um because he was on excursion not long before then. But yeah, he's fucking... Oh, Jesus Christ. I, I'm scared every time I see him. Like, the fact that he came back um, last week and just bumped. Like, he gave... He bumped everywhere. Like, Gaff, we can't stress this enough. He wasn't been made to bump. He bumped himself. <laughs> like, like, imagine if Ric Flair was on fucking cocaine. Okay, that's a bad example. What do you mean, imagine? Um, <laughs> Shouldn't take imagine, a lot of imagination. Imagine if Ric Flair was on cocaine and also had a firecracker stuck off his ass. That's kind of like what it was. Like it was, was giving himself like a buckle bomb, threw himself into like every barricade, every barricade. 
and then just sort of went on his like head in a weird way why um head fo- um crab thing and went Mike please <laughs> and Will Osprey who just went through this match had to hold up the microphone to him he's just he's absolutely ridiculous there is this w- <laughs> there is this wonderful press conference before Dominion 2018 where <laughs> Will Ospreay is talking about the moves that he's going to use on Hiromu. And Hiromu just turns around and goes, yeah, well, I've got a brand new submission finisher. It's called the D. And Ospreay just goes, it's called the what? The D. You do realise that's a that's that's a name for a penis, don't you? And Hiromu's reaction is absolutely amazing. He just goes, oh, no. I, I did not realise this. I can't put people in my D. That sounds awful. <laughs> and just this press conference is absolutely... Osprey cannot control his laughter. Hiromu just completely straight face, just, this is a bad day. This is such a bad day. There's a press conference where he brings fried chicken for one of his opponents. Just And then this whole thing with a fucking stuffed cat. The, he's just, I've he's, seen that everywhere. And like, I don't really see much of this stuff, but I have seen that everywhere. It's, oh, damn. It's just amazing, and this guy—he's just so different to everything else, and he's so. Such... He, def- he definitely stands out in that promotion. Oh, one hundred percent. I mean, Garth, it's... me and you watched, me and you reviewed Wrestle Kingdom twelve, and this was before Chris was part of um, mm-hmm. Podmania, the good old days as we like to refer to him when he's not listening. <laughs> <laughs> I'm joking, Chris. Obviously, I'm not joking, Garth. Um, <laughs> but we reviewed Wrestle Kingdom twelve, and that that four way. For the junior heavyweight championship with him, um, Osprey, Skrull, and Kushida, just yeah. it was, and he, him especially when he got all four competitors on all four sides of the ring, and he just ran <laughs> and sunset flip power bombed them all off the, and just it's such a ridiculously fast. It's impossible not to love him. It's impossible it, not to be drawn it's to shame him. That, it's a shame he got injured when he did as well because he kind of sort of picked up the Nakamura sort of mantle yeah. of like this sort of rock star, superstar, just out there character. And then he got this fucking, was it like this bad neck injury? Right, so like, what happened? Was um, that like just after um, do you know Shibata the f- was injured as well? Do you, know, do you know what the Phoenix driver is? Yeah. Right, so it was that, but done by driver. Was that the one under one ape? Was under the apron? No, 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 no. Right, so, like, basically, you go into a powerbomb position, get cradled, and then you get, like, um, thrown back. So, like, you're backwards, like, uh, like, overhead, sort of. Yeah, I think it's also called the Steen Elizer, because I think Kevin Steen used it, and it's disgusting, and really should be used by someone, by Dragon Lee, who's even shorter than Gath. And, like, he's really short. He's, like, five foot five. He shouldn't (laughs) be using that move. And, like, Hiromu just broke his neck on impact, because of course he fucking did. Because I remember when I first heard about it, I'm like, well, this was inevitable. We know what Hiromu's like, and it's not his fault at all. It's 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 a no, really no, sombering injury. It yeah. wasn't it wasn't right after Shibata. It was about a year and a half after Shibata. Was it? Yeah. Because that was when everyone was saying, look, it's getting ridiculous now, blah, blah, blah. But to be fair, with, in Shibata's case, it, that isn't New Japan style. That's just how Shibata is. And in Hiromi's case, that's a freak accident. It could literally happen to anyone. Yeah. Like, other, other criticisms put against New Japan are done by people who don't fucking watch New Japan. 
Because if you watch New Japan, you'd know that half the time um, they have less horrific injuries than WWE. And when they do, it's not to do with style. It's usually something really stupid, like Toa Hanare hurting his shoulder. Or Yoshihashi running into the ramp and breaking his jaw, or whatever he did. <laughs> to be completely fair, he fucking deserved it. It's just, oh my god. I mean, Garth, are you going to watch Wrestle Kingdom 14? Um, I'll, I'll try. I haven't the last few I have the last few years, so... Let's try this again. Point's gun at Garth. Are you going to watch Wrestle Kingdom 14? <laughs> Garth, it wasn't a question. You won't... <laughs> no, in, in all seriousness, what I was going to say was if you if you don't have time, just watch that match. I mean, all the Liger yeah. stuff aside, which is going to be, you know, tear-jerking and everything in like mo- that. In the words of Vinnie Jones. In the, in the words of Vinnie Jones. Um... Just go out of your way to watch the Takahashi Osprey match because the year Osprey has had and the fact that Hiromu has been basically bottled up for 18 months, it's just going to be fucking carnage. It's going to be great. I imagine Hiromu's been like shaking like a tweaker for the last six months or so. 100%. 100%. He's been ready for months, hasn't he? I think he's the reason so so much bad Boris Johnson got into power. He shook so hard he went into an alternate universe. It's. (laughs) As like, have you ever read Flashpoint? It's kind of like that. Yeah, Doctor Strange style in Avengers, where he just shook and shook and shook, and he was looking at all the different possibilities. Yeah, well, kind of, except Flash actually moves. People, I'm not going to go with comic, but nerdy on you now. <laughs> no, this is wrestling. Yes, different time. No nerds nerdism. allowed. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, Hiromu, number seven. What a fucking guy. Moving on to number six, and it is the other. New Japan entry on this list, Tomohiro Ishii. The man, the man with no neck, the stone pit bull. <laughs> he just cannot put on bad matches. And... You know what I think every time I see Ishii? Um, you know when Rick and Marty went the episode with all the parasites and just the um, giraffe comes along. Hello, I'm reverse giraffe. I have a short, I have sh- I have short neck and legs. I've never seen Rick and Morty ever. Have- you seem like the type. Anyway, go on. Okay. <laughs> um, I mean, it's got to the point now where every single G1, you look forward to Ishii's matches, to the point where this year he headlined and main evented more G1 shows than anyone else. He put on absolute classics with Shingo, with Moxley, with Goto. Just... And then you look at last year where he was in power struggle, him and Suzuki, him and Zack at Wrestle Kingdom... The man can't put on a bad match if he tried. He's just that damn good. And he's nothing flashy. I mean, I'll be honest, his most expansive move is his superplex. But he just has a way of drawing you into these matches and just believing that every strike fucking hurts. And it's got to the point where, on the Young Lion cast, Man and Chris's New Japan sort of section of Podmania... We will just say, if someone's had a good match with Ishii, you'll just go, yeah, but it's it's Ishii. If you can't have a good match with Ishii, then you're not going to have a good match. And it is that, it's that simple. He's just that, he's that person on New Japan's roster that you turn to to go, shit, we need someone to have a banger of a match here. Who do we turn to? And it's either Osprey or Ishii. And honestly, I don't think there are many bad Ishii matches. You know, even going back to 2013 with that fucking G1 match with Shibata, which made me hurt 
and I was only watching it. <laughs> just absolutely incredible. Absolutely incredible. And Garth, it's your style, mate. Just beating the ever-loving piss. When I've seen it, I've liked it. Did, um, I saw I saw a match with him and Walter and like the chop off, out. Just that there are things that you don't want to think about, and receiving have, a chop from Walter or a chop from Ishii are two of those things. Have you seen? The thing is, he also like he hits hard, but he, he'll take just as hard. Have you seen the still of him getting the chop from Walter? I haven't. It literally looks like a stone being dropped in a lake. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Actually, I have it on my phone. I'll send it to the WhatsApp. Please do. Please do. Um, but again, th- there's nothing flashy. It's just he draws you in. He draws you in. I mean, he's just had this absolute, absolutely brilliant match with Kenta, which we gave 8 out of 10. And the more I've thought about it, the more I think we should have given it 9. But that's by the by. Um, you know, and Kenta has been having a roughish time you know he had a few all right matches in the g1 and then he's come into this feud with ishii and just had two great well one and a half great matches the one at power struggle uh, sorry at royal quest was sort of ruined by the injury but he had a few great ma- matches in the g1 like his one with um with okada was really really good that it, that's the that's the only one really i know Meltzer gave this one with tanahashi four and a half but that's just wrong <laughs> yeah that was just wrong it was shit but that's beside the point I mean Ishii there's not a lot else I can say about him because he's not flashy he doesn't really have a gimmick apart from the fact that he just takes a lot of punishment that seems to be his gimmick he looks like a Yakuza boss though. he does look like a Yakuza boss he is the living embodiment of the Black Panther suit <laughs> where he will just take so Bumps. much and then just Give it out. That that's pretty much Ishii. That's that's Ishii, in my opinion. I, I I briefly when you said blink when you said blink uh, Black Panther, imagine Pink Panther for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> so now I'm just imagining fucking Ishii trying to rob banks, but very sneakily. <laughs> the I thought don't think he'd sneak. He just kick the door down. He would. He'd headbutt it down. He would headbutt it down. Just, yeah, the man is great. He's a wrestling machine. <laughs> I just, the fact I can't anymore. And he had an eight out of ten with Yuji Nagata earlier this year, and like Nagata's still great, but the ceiling nowadays tends to be seven. So that's what tells you everything you need to know. He's Taichi's had a good, a, well, a really good year oh, this year. It's been the best year. It was amazing. Like Taichi dragged the best match of the BC's life. Um, but no, like <laughs> they were great, and like they told a great story. And to be fair, that's something Ishii is really good at when he, especially when you look at his Shibata matches but then again we'll be mostly around okay we're gonna just start sitting down and you're gonna kick me now I'll stand up you fucking sit down I'm gonna kick you that's just his style that is just his style there's there's no frills nothing and occasionally wrestling just needs that as the, as the revival say no flips just fists or as, the, or as the girl who kept following the revival around says no flips just fist me Wow! Didn't you see? Have you never seen that sign? I have never seen that sign. No. It, it used to be a running thing. People did, would just bring no because they do it in the logo. So when security checked, we didn't see the me. So it was just no flips, just piss. God, just no class at all from some people. Is a Jesus Christ. 
Anyway, moving on. Number five, we are now halfway through this list. And number five is Kevin Owens. Aside from having one of the best themes of uh, of the modern WWE, um, he's just entertaining as fuck to watch. He's a great wrestler. You look at everything he's done from NXT all the way up to modern day. He's just fantastic. His debut on the main roster against John Cena, amazing. His time in NXT where he just ripped through Sami Zayn, his feud with Sami Zayn, that match at Battleground, oh my God, it was just incredible. And then that stuff with Chris Jericho. It's so good, it got us to remember Battleground. Exactly. A (laughs) pay-per-view that no one remembers. Um, But yeah, he had that, oh, the amazing storyline with the Festival of Friendship and the list of KO, which genuinely brought grown men to tears. Not this grown man, obviously. <clears throat> but just incredible. Incredible. And just that debut. That debut where he beats the shit out of John Cena. One edge. He was, for a while, the way he spoke, the way he carried himself, the way he wrestled, he was very much in the Stone Cold Steve Austin mould. To the point where he even stole the stunner. So, you know, there is that. But the way he, he, he speaks... Shit stun, let's be honest. Oh, yeah, his stunner He's isn't not, great. Stun. It's, no, a stunner's not good. A stunner's shite. It's all wobbly. Yeah, it is. It is. But the man's great. I mean, there are people who rag on his universal title reign. I don't think it was that bad. I, I wasn't lost from it. Every time I'd watch the highlight videos, it would be... It would look pretty good. For, for nearly a year. Exactly. For nearly a year, Garth, him and Chris Jericho were the best thing on Raw. Jericho and Owens carried Raw. That's, yeah, easily. And then, It was amazing. Yeah. The Festival of Friendship happened. Oh, my God. I, I cannot <laughs> get over that. Heartbreak. I, I want to think... <laughs> One of the favorite things about the Kevin Owens and um, Jericho one was that we just started blaming everything on Roman Reigns. <laughs> it's like, you know where we're fighting? We just start nodding on the crying, Roman Reigns! And we start hugging. <laughs> and then just moving on past that, he got drafted to SmackDown and this was when apparently WWE went through this phase and are still in that phase where they can't make both brands good. One brand has to be good and the other has to be shit. So for a while, Raw was shit. Post-draft, Raw was shit. SmackDown was good. Then they swapped them round, drafted Kevin Owens to SmackDown, and SmackDown was shit. Not because of Kevin Owens, because Kevin Owens remains the best thing on that fucking brand. I mean, his feud with Shane McMahon, even though we don't need more Shane fucking McMahon on our televisions, (laughs) Owens made it enjoyable. Owens made it good. And just his his entire character. And then this feud that he's gone on to now, it had the premise to be incredible, where basically they were saying, right, go on, here's a microphone, say what the fuck you want. And unfortunately, he has been stunted, unfortunately, with lackluster creative from WWE, but his character himself is he's so captivating. Have you seen much of his promos, like, specifically his promos outside of WWE, because when Kevin is left off his leash, Jesus Christ. I watched the infamous one that he cuts with the Young Bucks and Adam Cole, the Mount Rushmore of wrestling one. That is... That is... Do you know this one? Which is this? 
So, like, um, in PWG, there was this faction called Mount Rushmore. It was Kevin Owens, Adam Cole, well, Kevin Steen, Adam Cole, and Beyond Bucks. And Kevin Steen joined them because he couldn't beat Adam Cole, who was like, I can't. It's like, I want to suck your dick, but I'm like, everyone suck your dick. Most people want to suck your dick. We're good Christian boys. We don't do that shit. But I will make everyone in PWG suck your dick. That that's pretty much it. He just went off on one. It's it's brilliant. You you must seek it out if you haven't already seen it. It's to be the best. You need to beat man. Need to beat the man. Well, I can't beat the man, so I guess I'm on your fucking side. <laughs> and now I got your fucking back. It's fucking amazing. And um, it's just some of the like the worksheet stuff he cut on Cornet. Well, um, during his Ring of Honor, um, fuck Ring of Honor run was amazing. Just incredible. The man is he's incredible. Stuck. Like on promo ability alone, he's untouchable. And it's such a shame WWE script their promos. If it was anywhere where he didn't have to adhere to a script, it'd be amazing. I think he's just uh-huh. he has just been stunted by creative. I mean, even recently on Raw, he turned on AJ Styles and the OC, and then nothing happened. And it ju- it's hey, just it's like, oh, why? Just, just bizarre. Bizarre, but... The thing is, I don't like how we've changed the gimmick, because his gimmick in NXT was great, where it's like, I'm sure I'm a bad guy, but I'm, I'm doing it for my kids. I, lo- I loved all that. It was like, you're trying to take money from my kids' mouths. And he's like, nah, but I want to earn more money. <laughs> It's basically... Um, it's like economics. It's basically what <laughs> Seth Rollins is like now, because I'm not a whiny bitch, where Seth Rollins is like, oh, John Moxley not being here is taking food off of my <laughs> table. And Except like, well, uh, Rollins is supposed to be a fucking baby face. Yeah, except he's this whiny bitch who doesn't have a penis anymore. But anyway. How do you know the state of Seth Rollins' penis? Hey, me and Pecky Lynch are tight, all right? <laughs> All right, okay, whatever. Anyway, number five, Kevin Owens. Number four, he's made the list, guys. He's made the list. You stole that from me? (laughs) (laughs) You dick. He is le champion, enjoying a little bit of the bubbly. It's Chris Jericho. This guy is fucking amazing. Filthy, disgusting, trash bag hoe. He's 49 years old, and he is oh. the coolest thing in wrestling. I bet you in 20 years he's going to make his age into a gimmick. Just, he is... He will? Un- but I've never seen anyone change their gimmick so much and so successfully. To the point he where he's it. that charismatic... He got a scarf over, he got a jacket over, and he got a fucking piece of paper over. (laughs) Twice? Twice. He's got catchphrases for days. Stupid idiot. It. You just made the list. A little bit of the bubbly. Le champion. Is there nothing this man... Honestly, whenever he says... I'm Le Champion. I fucking laugh. Can't help it. He's just... He is. He's so entertaining. And this, is, this isn't this is even looking at the matches that he's had. But I was going to say, like, you could take away all the fucking wrestling and he'd still be a top ten like, he would. entertainer. He would, because he's gone from 
being, you know, the Ayatollah of rock and roll. And when he went from that to the cynical, dickhead, suited up bellend that feuded with Shawn Michaels in one of my all-time favourite feuds, just the the range that he was able to do was just absolutely amazing. And then you put on top of this absolute exhibitions of wrestling to the point where when he was 47, 47 years old, he waltzed into New Japan, physically waltzed into New Japan, had a five-star match with Kenny Omega, had two four-and-a-half-star matches with Tetsuya Naito. At 47 years old, he was able to hang with the best of the best. And, you know, he could take anything and make it amazing. That festival of friendship, again, just his reaction made that. And just those words, hey, why is, why is my name on this? It's, that was just fucking amazing. It still breaks my heart. <laughs> the whole thing with the, the, the presents and the pictures and just... <laughs> that God picture where they're touching fingers. <laughs> That's my wallpaper for a while. <laughs> it's, it, and then he goes to AEW where he creates this inner circle faction which automatically makes people more... I mean, for God's sake, the rub Sammy Guevara, Sammy Guevara sorry, is getting off this. The rub oh, yeah. that Proud and Powerful are getting off this. Even Jake Hager, who is a fucking scary-looking bloke, but even him, just from being in Jericho's limelight, is just incredible. The promos he cuts, the fact that that promo when he introduced the Inner Circle was absolutely... <laughs> phenomenal. The fact that he can turn on a dime and just react to everything going on around him. Just incredible. Perform, honestly, that promo this week where he was ripping the piss out of the video that um, Cody had done. I've watched it about 50 times. <laughs> yeah. he's just saying, what is it? He says, uh, you know, it's hard. Uh, every day I have to wake up and find and drink a uh, a bit of the bubbly. He's like, do you know how hard it is to find good bubbly? <laughs> <laughs> He's like, but it's, it's, a, it's a task I'm willing to take because I am the champion. That's <laughs> just fucking amazing. Here's the bubbly thing. Literally just, it was off the cuff. He just went back at stage with shouting at everyone. Exactly. And, and it's just, oh, a little bit of a bubbly. Which is ripped off fucking dumb and dumber. It was amazing a couple of weeks. It was the, it was episode, I think it was episode four of Dynamite. When he stood, when he was stood up in um, on the balcony with the inner circle, oh, yeah. and he was cutting a promo yeah. on MJF and just said, "What kind of an idiot wears a scarf?" It was brilliant. <laughs> it was amazing. It's, and this is someone who, at this point in his career, like you would think they would just, well, normally wrestlers would just rest on the laurels and just live off past glories, but he's always doing something new. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Shit though, aren't they? Say again. Fozzy's a bit shit though, aren't they? Oh yeah. I mean, I like. They're all right. I, I like the album. I like the Judas album, and I think I like the Judas album because the moment he came out at Wrestle Kingdom twelve, it still sends goosebumps down my down my arms. That, that is a great one. Um, that's a really good wrestling song. It but is. Also, like worst, worst Jericho is like 2002 before he turned heel with Christian. 
um, trying to get Fozzie open over. Yeah. That's worse, Jerick. Yeah, he went very Mandrews, didn't he, with Junior? Uh, that's, that's the thing, because like, there are doldrums with Jericho, but he never last more than like six months. No. Like, the worst period is he, he always start. manages, he always seems to know when to, to leave and when to I stop. Think with, when he came back in 2016, it was the first time people were like, ah, fuck off. Jericho, and then he, within like three months, he was the hardest thing in the company. So, just again, the man is just so. I, I can't understand how he just constantly renovates his character and still makes himself relevant. The fact that he is the top guy in AEW, in the company that is basically the challenger for the WWF, or WWF, WWE, it just goes to show. How amazing he still is well, now. I got I got into a, a an argument with a guy on a, on a, a group when I and I still stand by the fact that Chris Jericho was and is the most important person to AW and he's like no I've got Kenny O'Meara you've got all these like, yeah but nobody knows who they are really. Chris Jericho. <laughs> don't make me fight you, guy. Yeah? Don't make me don't make me fight you. No, but I mean on the overall international landscape with wrestling Chris Jericho is a known commodity and he's a better promo than anybody else and he can inspire more people than like for instance a Kenny Omega because Kenny Omega is still not that level in America yet Chris Jericho but the, obviously this guy's like no they're all better workers I thought Chris Jericho was not the best worker but he's the best promo probably still in wrestling I I raise the question if Jericho is not the most important person in AEW, why was he the person that they chose to make the first champion? Well, exactly. That, that, well, that's where it spawned from. It was spawned from why is Jericho in the main event for the title? Well, because you put your, your title on the most important and sellable person. Exactly. Exactly. Jericho <laughs> is marketable and he he makes your company relevant. And you know what? I agree with what you're saying. I think he is the most important person in AEW, aside from Cody, because the stuff Cody's <laughs> been doing during this feud is absolutely incredible. Um, but yeah, just the man is incredible. At everything he does, and I love him. <laughs> I absolutely love him. Um, so yeah, number four, Chris Jericho. Number three, and this is going to make Garth hate me, uh, Shawn Michaels. <laughs> No. <laughs> so <clears throat> basically every reason Garth hates Shawn Michaels is the reason why I love him because uh, he screwed Brett he, no Brett screwed Brett come on get with the program Garth no just from a pure in ring standpoint for a minute he was unparalleled for consistency and for what he could do in the ring and his resume of incredible matches, matches that aren't even spoken about, like that match with Cena on Raw, a Cena who who isn't the greatest worker. He's okay now. 2007. Exactly. In 2007, Cena was not a good worker. He was the champion, wasn't a good worker. But Michaels dragged him to one of the greatest TV matches in Raw's history. That is just how good he was. He managed to basically, almost single-handedly with Brett, keep that company afloat 
whilst they were going through the doldrums of things like Duke the Dumpster Drozzy and Max Moon. Just his feud with Bret Hart is still one of the most iconic feuds in not just WWE, in wrestling history. You know, they call him the showstopper. There is the reason they call him the showstopper. There's the reason that they call him Mr. WrestleMania. His match, I mean, Ric Flair, for God's sake. Ric Flair was 128 years old when they wrestled (laughs) at WrestleMania 24. Actual fact, Google it, okay? And he pulled out just an absolute barnstormer of a match. Yes, it was held by the fact that it was Ric Flair's um, retirement match. Of course it was. The drama added with that, but just everything he does was incredible. And then he ruined it all by coming back at Crown Jewel, but... I mean, I wouldn't say that's ruined uh, all that much. I mean, Flair sort of had other matches, but no one really talks about that, do they? For me, the thing about Michaels was the same thing as Austin. When it was done, it was done. You know, there was no coming back. I mean, he had the opportunity of coming back at the 2016 Royal Rumble and having a match with um, AJ Styles. Tell me that that would have wouldn't have been. Ju- you talked about Kurt Angle dream matches, Gar. That would have been the dream match. Um, but yeah, just his. I mean, yes, his backstage politicking is the stuff of legend. The fact that he was an absolute prickish cunt backstage <laughs> is legend. But taking that away for a moment, the guy was incredible in ring. Absolutely incredible. Yeah. Thing is everyone copies it. <laughs> well that's it. You He's see it. In, you see it in so many people. Dolph Ziggler. <laughs> I mean Dolph Ooh, Ziggler is a shameless ripoff. Let's be let's be brutally honest. He is an a shameless ripoff. Yeah. If he wasn't, he became a shameless ripoff when he was like I'm just gonna not gonna try because you know I'm Dolph Ziggler. Everyone loves me. No well, not loving me. The super kick is now the most overused move in history of wrestling. Yeah, and that's obviously because everybody loves Michaels. Garth, what's your favourite Shawn Michaels match? <sighs> Probably either this first take I won at WrestleMania. Yeah. Or the ladder match with Razor at. Um, for the Intercontinental Championship. That was Many a ten. Yeah. That was another but, very good match. You know what I love? And I didn't realise Gaff didn't like Sean until we were doing the um, wrestling classic a few months ago. That's me and him. And we got to the end of like the splooging over Michaels versus um, Angle. And I was like, okay, so I'm giving this a nine. He was like, I'm giving it an eight. I'm like, wait, no, it was a seven. It's like, why am I giving it a set? Why are you giving it a seven? And I'm, he's like, oh, he screwed Brat. I'm like, fuck off, guys. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, to be fair, like, I, I always enjoyed his matches and stuff, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, his... Honestly, honestly, I kind of look at him and not think, fuck you. <laughs> I love it. It's amazing. Um... Especially after watching that. Um, Wrestling with Shadows documentary. Holy fuck. You know, my favourite Shawn Michaels matches. You were going to be my next port of call. Go for it. Tell me. Um, the Jericho ladder match. At No Mercy 2008. Yes. Very, very, very good match. And 
it just he it made well I don't want to say he made Jericho because obviously he didn't but it it solidified Jericho as that cunt of a heel just amazing just absolutely amazing and he put over in the second in his second run because certainly not in his first run um, but he, he put over so many people and helped so many people and that final run that 2007 run where he was like I've got to win the Royal Rumble because I need to take on Taker again I need to do it and then he lost the Royal Rumble match or he was eliminated by someone and just went fucking ballistic it was amazing it was such a good storyline it contributed to like the, my favourite Rumble match because going into that, you genuinely did not know who was going to win. It could be Cena, it could be Batista, it could be Triple H. Shawn Michaels had a massive claim. Edge then came back. Jericho could still win it. It was like half, literally a third of the field could have won. Sorry, not 2007, 2010 even. Was it? Yes. Yeah, it was 2010 because Edge won it, didn't it? it? And that was just that was amazing. We didn't even mention that in the Edge portion of it, but even so. Anyone that hates Sean's backstage politicking, you are perfectly within your rights to hate it because at times it bordered on the comical. You know, there's loads of stories about how people like um, Vader didn't get over in the WWE because Sean didn't want to work with him. You know, because he was too stiff. When we did SummerSlam 93 a couple months ago, and... You've never quite forgiven uh, me for that, have you? No, I fucking... (laughs) You picked that too, didn't you? And you also, and also, you fucking picked um, fucking collision in career. Fuck you, Rob. Um, but anyway, yeah, fair so, play. <laughs> um, when Diesel and Sean was champions for no reason, and it was like, oh yeah, look, power play. Like the amount of time, the amount of stories you heard about, like the story of that Sean wasn't going to put Austin over at Mania 13 despite the fact Sean was leaving. And the fact that Taker had to stand at Gorilla taping up his fists to make sure Sean would do the job. <sighs> yeah, it it's not great, to be perfectly honest. But again, you say that, I counter with the fact that his greatness helped to paper over a pathetically thin roster in the middle oh, of the 90s. Oh, yeah, totally. I mean, you... Okay. you Diesel. Yeah, Brett. It it was literally Sean and Brett, and you look at WrestleMania twelve. It's a one match card. You look at WrestleMania ten. Are you telling me the Millionaire Brawl is not an all time classic? I am unfortunately. Yes, I am telling you that. Unfortunately, I know it's a difficult thing to hear, Chris, but I am telling you that. Roddy Piper is a Scottish hero. I mean, never seen, next thing you're going to tell me, but <laughs> um, you know, looking at. WrestleMania 10, you can see that the four best workers are Owen, Brett, Sean, and Razor. To the fact, to the point where they had to extend their ladder match to cover how shit the rest of the roster were. The man is a bona fide legend in ring. Absolutely. <laughs> Doesn't Hardcore Holly hate Sean Michaels to this day because he was going to have a match and it got cancelled because it went long? What makes me so laugh took, is they've said it was. Then a, you take that on the rookies. Yeah. Well, what makes me laugh is they told me... Go on. No, I'm just saying. Fucking Hardcore Holly takes it on the kids. Well, I mean, what would you prefer to see? A 10-man tag or 
the continuation <laughs> of Sean and Razor. And it makes me laugh because people said, oh, it's a click power play, it's a click power The one, two, three kid was in that match. So you can't <laughs> tell me it wasn't. <laughs> It was an expendable member of the clique. It's the one who got his ass ripped open. Oh, yeah, dude, a Bronco <laughs> Buster. Oh, God, yeah. Forgot about that. But anyway, number three, Shawn Michaels. One of, if not the greatest, in-ring superstar the WWE have had. Just waiting for Garth to bite. Just waiting for Garth to bite. I keep, I keep dropping Brett sucks things. To, I kind, you know, I kind of have to agree, but you know, not as good as Brett. <laughs> I, keep, I, I miss the days when Garth would bite. Those were great days. It, it's because it's not because the middle of the week. It's yes, exactly. I'm not sort of. He's not an angry, angry man. He's not an angry <laughs> man today. It's all right. Sure. Wait. So, so we do the big daddy day. This is happy daddy day. Oh, G, rather. That sounds terrifying. <laughs> He's Big Daddy D in Blackpool. Oh, God. Anyway, moving swiftly on. Um, number two, and huh, this is quite laughable considering who this person is above, but number two is Bray Wyatt. And I'm really looking forward to telling people why it's Bray Wyatt. Um, believe it or not, this love for Bray Wyatt sort of stemmed far, far before his amazing reinvention in the Firefly Funhouse and his Fiend character and the fact that he's now the Universal Champion whoop-de-doo. Um, I loved Bray Wyatt when he first came up from NXT. Um, I stopped watching wrestling for ages and ages and ages and ages, and ages because I, basically I thought I was too cool for it and it turns out I'm not like at all. Um <laughs> But, yeah, exactly, and now we'll do a fucking wrestling podcast. Um, but the reason I came back to it was because, um, believe it or not, I played cricket as well, because I thought, you know, if you <laughs> in for a penny, in for a pound on the whole nerd thing. Um, You're fucking southern. I know. I know. Anyone is southern to you. <laughs> fucking Newcastle's <laughs> southern to you, you muppet. <laughs> it's not the Highlands are southern to me. Um, someone I played no. cricket with, they said look like Bray Wyatt, and I was like, "What? Who?" Oh, so you look like Wyatt. I need to see this picture. He he did when he had long hair and a beard. He looked exactly like Bray Wyatt. It was it was quite it was quite worrying. Oh, I thought you said you looked like Bray Wyatt. No, I didn't look like Bray Wyatt. I I look <laughs> like Bray Wyatt in the same way you look like Edge. I look like Edge <laughs> when you look like Bray Wyatt. Come on. So anyway, I googled him. And I was like, what the fuck is this crazy mofo? And it stemmed from there, really, just, you know, I was encapsulated by his promos. I thought his in-ring style was fantastic. And just the entire sort of backwards cult thing was amazing. It was so different to anything else in the WWE, apart from Wheel and Mercy. But that's beside the point. And I loved it. It was amazing. And I just I could not understand why the WWE would not get behind it. And it was so frustrating because he was physically the only thing that I was tuning in for. So fast forward then, and he put on great matches. You know, Cena at Payback 2014. The Last Man Standing match is one of the best examples of a Last Man Standing match without it being ridiculous. So you get last man standing matches where you're just like, this just needs to fucking end. Come on. Yeah. But this was amazing. This was absolutely brilliant. Even though Cena win won because Cena wins lol, it was still 
outstanding. Even his match at WrestleMania 30, even though he should have won, that was incredible as well. And this is the most frustrating thing because every Bray Wyatt story from 2015 through to 2017 is, yeah, but he should have won that feud. He should have won that feud. He should have won that feud. I mean, for fuck's sake, it got to the point where he was a man dressed in drag talking in a high-pitched voice to Pumpkin Balor. And I liked that. No, you didn't. And it was at that point that everyone was like, well, he's dead. He is dead. And they even teamed him with Matt Hardy. When Broken Matt Hardy came in, everyone was like, oh my God, can you imagine the shit he's going to get up to with Bray Wyatt? And nothing happened. Nothing fair, happened. They had, they had that um, ultimate deletion or whatever they called him. That was really fun. That's more match, though. Just think of the angle they could have done. The, sh- the, my, the bizarre shit they could have come up with. They've got twice, three times, four times the budget of Impact. And Impact did fucking loads with it. To the point where they tried to keep it for ages. And just it, and then he got injured and just, we thought, was seemingly never, ever coming back. And it got to the point where people were bored of him. And it should never have got to that point because his gimmick just is fantastic. But he just lost that many meaningful feuds that people were just like, well, what's the fucking point? Seth Rollins, Finn Balor, uh, Matt Hardy, just everyone seemed to beat him and he had nothing, nothing at all to fall back on. Well, that's it. It became a point where he was like, well, why why should I even get invested? Because we know what the outcome. Exactly. Randy Orton. Well, yeah, exactly. We then get to a point where he starts to win championships and he was put in the world's worst, or it felt like it, WrestleMania match because not only were we treated to Randy Orton just completely destroying Bray Wyatt for the championship, but also we got a GCSE media studies fucking PowerPoint projected onto the ring mat and it just it made him a joke. And then we followed that up with a House of Horrors match, which was absolutely dog shit. And it was it was a really hard time to be a Bray Wyatt fan because you just could not see where it was going to end. So great time, Randy Orton fan. Though. Say again. Great time to be a Randy Orton fan. Fantastic. Yeah. Well, not 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 great time well, because he lost it to Jinder Mahal. Yeah, yeah, but like for three months before. Well, yeah, I suppose there is that. Fast forward, and we've now got creepy children's television presenter Bray Wyatt and he is the greatest thing in the WWE not that the WWE haven't tried to fuck it up you know having Mm -hmm. him lose well having the match at Hell in a Cell stopped for no discernible reason but he's now the universal champion and I think I can speak for all three of us when I say he is by far the most entertaining thing on WWE programming you know what um, the Firefly the, the Firefly Funhouse is like? Have you ever seen Don't Hug Me, I'm Scared? No, but that sounds <laughs> absolutely terrifying. It is amazing. I'm going to send a link after we're done. Okay, I'm I'm a little bit scared. I'm not going to lie. I can't I can't believe you haven't seen Don't Hug Me, I'm Scared. Me and my uh, um, old I friend back in school, we bonded over it because it's like uh, it starts off as a normal TV show talking about how things can be creative, and then they're eating each other. It's amazing. And then they made five more, and it's even more amazing. 
Gotham scared. Oh, Hug no. me. I, do, do you guys sometimes get worried when I talk about what I'm into outside of wrestling? Yeah. Try not to think about it. <laughs> <laughs> um, and yeah, just... He's now gone from a man who was the most exciting thing in WWE, having fantastic matches with The Shield and John Cena and Daniel Bryan, to the most boring person on the roster who no one gave a shit about to back to that pinnacle and the only unfortunate thing is is that wwe will fuck this up it's just a case of how and when they're gonna do it and that's why i don't watch wwe yeah yeah i know i know but to be honest it says a lot about a company when i literally on a tuesday morning will youtube what has happened and i only look for the Firefly Funhouse segments. That's, that's it. That's the water. It says a lot about your company when you can take 40 million a year from the Saudis but can't pay 28 million a year to give you wrestlers healthcare. True story. True story. Um, another thing I love about Bray, there was a wonderful thing on um, a YouTube channel. Can't remember whose it was. And they were saying about how Bray had been talking about The Fiend for years and years and years beforehand just on on random things and they put together his twitter and it turns out that bray had been you know foretelling all of this by you know some of his promos and things like that i don't know if you saw it when he tweeted out saying i've been foretelling this for years if you look at some of these promos there are lines that don't fit and they came together and they were all the titles of the firefly funhouse episodes Mm-hmm. And then he did mm-hmm. a WWE story time story. Is that what it was called? Story time or something? And he was reading this book and he was talking about a man with yellow eyes and a mask. And it was just like, well, that's a fiend. And it, it's just, it's, it, it adds to the story. And then my God, that costume at SummerSlam, when he comes out, the music, the Bray Wyatt head with the Lant- lantern shoved in its mouth. Just amazing. Really, really good imagery. They do really need to sort out the fucking lighting, though. That that lamp. I kind of want a lamp like that of, like, my friends, and I don't know why. What, just of your friend's head? Yeah. Or, like, all my friends. <laughs> Chris, when did you decide you were going to become a serial killer? <laughs> About a week ago when I decided to stop drinking. Oh, how's that going, by the way? I miss drinking. <laughs> oh, Garth, you don't know this. Chris has stopped drinking because people have told him he's drinking too much. It, that must I'm, be bad if you're getting told that in Scotland. Yeah, I'm, I'm very glad. I'm very glad we're talking about this on the podcast. Uh, apparently, they apparently he decided to instead of doing Stoptober, decided to do the complete opposite and drink on every day. Which, to be honest, is absolutely incredible, Chris, and you deserve a medal. I do deserve a fucking medal, but no one gives me a medal. How's No Not November going? (laughs) (laughs) Totally depends on whether whether or not you're adhering to the challenge or not. (laughs) I I am so far succeeding in No Not November. Anyway, we've slightly digressed. Um, That is number two, is Bray Wyatt. We moved to number one, and... Let me guess. Can I guess? Of course you can. Is it 
somebody who was once a dentist. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> it's Britt Baker. Of course it is. No. Who <laughs> can I guess? Go on then, Chris. Is it Candy Floss? It is Candy Floss. I, I have watched one Candy Floss match ever. <laughs> That's it. That that was enough. Just enough. Yeah, the gimmick. I was just enthralled. I was in here on the gimmick and Cromwell alone. There you go. Um. So, yeah, number one. That has to be Kane. Um. (laughs) Yeah, it's Kane. I mean, for God's sake, I'm I'm a child of the Attitude Era, and when that man debuted in 1997, still to my mind one of the greatest debuts in wrestling history waltzing, yeah. I say waltzing, stalking, surrounded by red light and a cackling pull bearer to Hell in a Cell of Bad Blood, tearing the door off the cage, which was just unheard of, and then Tombstone driving The Undertaker, igniting one of the most iconic feuds in WWF history and becoming one of the most instantly recognisable characters in the WWE, in at the same time, just how can Kane not be in anyone's list? He's a shit in ring competitor. I'll be perfectly honest. He's had I can probably count the amount of classic matches he's had on one hand. Great Carly, WrestleMania twenty three. <laughs> Chavo Guerrero. WrestleMania twenty four. Exactly. Yes. I mean the man is a walking highlight the, reel. What did he do with WrestleMania twenty five? Was he in the money in the bank? That's what he did. Uh yes he was. Yes, he was. He's been, I believe he's, or he was certainly, the mo- the person with the most money in the bank ladder matches. Don't know if he still he is. Because they couldn't do anything with him. Can I make, can I slightly make you hate me right now? You know what my first um, Kane was? Was Bald Kane? <sighs> That's with upsetting. Like, against the Great Carly at WrestleMania 23. Oh, this is God, that feud. <laughs> and that feud physically hurts. Stuff. Um, was with Umaga. God, I mean that that wasn't too bad. In fairness, I mean Umaga at least could have some decent matches. The Great Carly had trouble moving. Never mind having a good match. Um, oh, Great Carly, I'm like, oh man, he's big. I bet he's really good. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I just I pity people. Giant <laughs> oh God, not Giant Gonzalez. Just the yes. worst. Just the fucking worst. Um, I don't know if I just pity people that have terrible, terrible fucking creative. Um, I mean, this man, he's, he is a WWE champion. He's actually a Grand Slam champion now. Um, but Wait, when was he US champion? Uh, it's the original Grand Slam. So he was Intercontinental. He's WWF champion. Uh-huh. He's tag team champion. So uh-huh. they didn't count the United States champion at that point. Um, well, that, it'd, be, it'd be quite bad, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, exactly. I mean... He, I don't understand why he wasn't stra- a rocket strategy. I mean, we've all played with wrestling figures, okay? That is correct, isn't it? We've all played with wrestling figures, and we've all had our own promotions with the wrestling figures. And if you're telling me you, you haven't, you're lying to yourself. Um, and I'm an fan and someone just put this on in the background. Kane went on an unprecedented two-year winning streak in my federation. He was the champion... And he was just the coolest man. He used to have the Titan Tron, and they used to stand. They used to have two metal things on their feet. He used to put it. I had that one. 
I fucking heard that one because I found out a car boot sale. I know. It's amazing, isn't it? And you used to put their feet on the two-mile strips and their thing would flash up and they'd walk to the ring. It was amazing. And he was the champion for two years undefeated. Me and my brother would play it. He'd be like, can we make someone else champion now? No. Can we fuck? Kane is staying champion. And I just he was the first person that I fell in love with to do with wrestling. And yes, I will stand by the fact that he's not the greatest in-ring competitor. The feud with The Undertaker led to two of the most disappointing matches <laughs> in the world, I'll be perfectly honest. But it doesn't matter. You have those memories when you are a child and you have those things that bring you back into wrestling. I can't help that the two things that brought me into wrestling were Kane and Bray Wyatt. But they are my, they're the two people I go back to. You know, you look at Attitude Era Kane, you just look at him and go, that is the fucking coolest thing ever. And seeing him stand nose to nose with The Undertaker is still one of the most endearing images for me for wrestling. You're not original Mass Kane, it's like like if a red Power Ranger had sex with the devil. Um, I mean, I mean, okay. Yeah, okay. Um, um, yeah. All right. Let's go, let's go with that. <laughs> I think, like, I, like, I remember seeing Kane, like, like you did on the his debut, and I instantly it was like, fuck, what's this? Like, the it was sort of like they're doing it again, like they did with the Undertaker. They're bringing in this sort of mystical, like, sort of being who's not well effectively he wasn't supposed to be human was he? he was from hell um and it just it injected something at the time where you were like all right okay this is it's so it's still fucking balls against the wall daft shit but it worked it was really good and i can't really ever sort of remember thinking oh holy shit Here's a Kane match. It's going to be shit. I always still would watch him. I don't know why. <laughs> Not to be fair, like I, I think it's a lot of my generation that got people down on Kane because we got fucking corporate Kane. WWE did their absolute best to mess with Kane. I mean, for goodness sake, you had corporate Kane. You had boyfriend Kane with Tory Wilson. You had. That was the worst. Kane being unmasked and looking like some kind of dollar store clown. In, being fair, um, the um, the match he had with Shane McMahon in that period was amazing. Where he electrocuted the bollocks. That was in, in the match where I was actually in the build-up, but that's also amazing. <laughs> it was an awakening for many people. It w- but didn't, didn't he... I mean, he still always managed to come back and have good stuff like he did with, like... The, the fun stuff that you had with like D- Daniel Bryan and things like that. The team oh, hell no was a re- was a revitalization of the character. Yeah, absolutely. I, I love that the scene when they both where they made Daniel Bryan eat meat and <laughs> Kane eat vegan. No, yes, no, yes, and then they both eat it. Yes, yes. <laughs> and just um, May Young turns up and goes, "I'll have what they're having." <laughs> oh, May Young. She doesn't make this list, unfortunately, but we love May Young. <laughs> She was the most adorable sex pest in the world. <laughs> uh, yeah, she was. She was. And again, just... I don't understand WWE pest. sometimes. It's, it's, most, it's the only sex pest I've ever wanted to hug. <laughs> Whoa. And okay. on that bombshell, yeah, number one, there's not really a lot I can say because there isn't 
a great amount of championship wins. There isn't a great amount of outstanding five-star classics that you can find, but you can sort of... It's just a childhood memory, and sometimes that is enough. It's another one of those characters that that is eternal in that world. Yeah, he's your... He's what um, Broadway's worst guy from what Rey Mysterio is to me. You think about the Attitude Era. You think about Stone Cold Steve Austin. You think about uh, The Rock. You think about The Undertaker. You think about Triple H. And you think about Kane. Those are the five you think about. And I think that goes for everyone. Those are the five that you go to. Those are your characters. No if I was going to use a football analogy... I would say he's like the James Milner of WWE. Yeah, he's literally put him in any position, and he just does his thing. He's just totally yes, I understand. <laughs> well, you mock you mock Chris. Who did you make a reference to in the Young Lion? Yes, uh, on Wednesday. Oh, Heskey. Emil Heskey. He's never yeah. watched football ever. I have. I've watched football. I just. Sit there and comment on how homoerotic it is. But he knows who Emil Heskey is. <laughs> Explain that to me, Garth. I mean, I suppose he is one of the greatest English strikers. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. That's sarcasm. And again, <laughs> on that bombshell, ladies and gentlemen, that is my top ten. And I think you'll agree that with a top two of Kane and Bray Wyatt that mine is absolutely the correct top ten out of the three. Um, but yeah, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for listening. Um, we really do appreciate it. All our downloads are going up, which is brilliant. So thank you. Thank you to everyone that's listening over in America. So, hello. Pardon? We're award nominated. We are now award nominated. Thank you to the Wrestle Hub. I believe it is their <laughs> podcasting awards have been nominated for the best trio. Fuck knows how that's happened. Sam Roberts and OSW are now out here. So, like, we can say this now about Sam Roberts thinking we're jealous marks. Fuck you, Sam Roberts, you massive cunt. Fucking <laughs> okay, okay, hell. Go bald. Like, why have pubes on your head? Just fucking shave it off, you stupid little rugrat-looking motherfucker. So, what? let me get this right. Garth, when he gets angry, starts a fight with Finn Balor. You're starting a fight with Sam Roberts. I'm working my way up. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for listening, guys. We will, of course, be back to usual programming next week with the Young Lion cast on Wednesday and the Podmania podcast on Saturday. Look out on Monday for a new episode of our uh, Universe Mode, which will be up at 7pm GMT. Uh, you can download us on all manner of podcast platforms. Just Google us and we are there. We're like syphilis. Um, you can talk to us on Twitter at, at Podmania. Same with Facebook at Podmania Podcasts. Talk to me at, at RealRobGoodwin. Uh, Garth, where can they find you? At Garthamania. And this is really exciting. Chris, where can they find you? No Goto! <laughs> At no Goto. We finally got him to change his Twitter handle. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening, guys. And we'll talk to you guys again soon. You've been listening to the Podmania Pro Wrestling Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Podmania. Facebook at Podmania Podcasts. And YouTube and Instagram at RealPodmania. And check out the website podmania.co.uk.
Until next time, wrestling fans. Wrestling fans.